Welcome to the Audit Podcast, the number one podcast for the audit profession. Be sure to check the show notes for all of our social media channels and to sign up for the Audit Podcast newsletter. Now, here's your host, Trent Russell. This podcast is sponsored by Green Skies Analytics, where they do everything tech-related, but only for internal audit. Although compliance and risk management, y'all are cool too, so feel free to check it out also. To find out more, please visit greenskiesanalytics.com, but it's more likely that you're just going to Google it. So to find out more, please Google Green Skies Analytics. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. This is the Audit Podcast, and we are doing a special series this year on the 2022 Internal Audit Beacon Awards winners. To become a Beacon Award winner, um, Richard Chambers sends out an email and makes LinkedIn and social media posts for folks to nominate potential internal audit thought leaders, uh, i.e. the people that are the Beacon Award winners. And then he goes through, reviews those, and then uh, selects uh, this year the 12 that he felt like made a difference in the profession. So what we wanted to do was highlight each one of those. Um, we've had many of them on before uh, on the show, and so we will have them back. And I thought a really good place to start was with the person who's won this award four years in a row. Uh, so Richard Chambers started this in 2019. I think he's done 10 one year, 12. He did a decade-long thought leader series, I believe, in the first one in 2019. So um, Al Guerin has been on this list for four years in a row, so since its inception and felt like, yeah, that's probably a pretty good place to start. Al is the president, owner, and managing director of Audit Executive Advisory Services. He's also a contributing author at ACI Learning and Internal Audit 360. There are, Hal's two most recent articles are linked below. We also mention uh, and go into a little bit of detail about those two articles one with Internal Audit 360, the other with ACI Learning. So those are linked in the show notes. Check those out. I was also the sales director at Mefford Associates. And through that is their uh, C-Risk Academy, which Hal also mentions the CCAE, the Certified Chief Audit Executive. Uh, and just a quick note. So you can get a certification as a CAE. You don't need to be a CAE to get that. And Hal's recommendation is, depending on where you are in your career, at least in your certification roadmap, is get the CIA first uh, and then the CAE. Um, so there's a link in that. You can check that out if you're an aspiring CAE. Uh, if you want to know more about the CAE position, how to become one, how to navigate it, the politics, uh, the execution, all that kind of good stuff, check out that link as well. Before all of that, uh, Hal is also the Chief Risk Officer for the IIA and the Director of Internal Audit at PIMCO. Because of Hal's very extensive experience in risk management and internal audit uh, as a Chief Audit Executive and someone who talks with Chief Audit Executives pretty consistently, that's kind of the overall feel of the show and topic of the show. So we wanted to know where are the audit committee's focus these days? where are they maybe not focused as much as they maybe should be. Um, we talk about one of the articles that Hal wrote and the, the technical jargon that we as audit use and some of the phrases or words that maybe we should consider no longer using. Um, and then we also talk about what does the audit committee want from their CAE? What are the common challenges that a CAE faces? And then how does a CAE know that they have arrived? Which is a really fascinating question. It's one that kind of came up when Hal and I were doing the, the pre-interview part of the show. 
Um, and he said, you know, this is how I, I realized I arrived as a CAE. And I went, oh, that's awesome. I'm going to steal that and ask that as a question from now on. So uh, thanks to Hal for that. Uh, and then lastly, Hal leaves us with his parting thoughts. Here we go. With your chief audit executive background and even some of the articles that I've seen that you've written over the years, um, primarily with Internal Audit 360, I know you've talked and given these like insights into how a CAE actually works and the even like the conversations with audit committees um, and things like that that I didn't even know happened, some of these you know side conversations. So right, just reading your content has been very valuable to me and understanding audit even more. Um, but I am curious, relative to audit committee priorities, what what's the focus and and the ones that you're talking to the CAEs you're talking to where's the audit committee's focus these days uh without a doubt the primary focus of audit committees um i think unfortunately has been on is and has been on financial reporting and the problem is that because of all of the requirements i mean some audit committee meetings and publicly traded companies are meeting 8 10 12 or more times a year yeah. Granted, many of those meetings are virtual meetings. They were even before the pandemic because you, you know you can't have you know people who might be on an audit committee flying into some place you know ten twelve times a year, um, and it's understandable, but it crowds out so many other things that you know would probably be beneficial from a more strategic perspective on organizational governance because you run out of time. What's the CAE's role in maybe changing that? Or is there anything they can do? Any guidance you could provide on, hey, I know this is a big deal, but... I think that, I think it starts, it starts with what the relationship is with the audit committee chair. Yeah. It also depends on um, what your role is with the audit committee. In, in, in some organizations, the CAE, for the most part, controls the agenda, works with the audit committee chair. But in other organizations, the, uh, the CAE is just a contributor to the agenda and someone else, the CFO, you know, someone who might be responsible for other governance activities like the corporate secretary might be driving the agenda that the legal department, you know, and you're just a contributor. So I think it depends on what your role is and what your relationship is with the chair. The more you can have a strong relationship with the chair and can just have conversations yeah. with them about things that might not be part of the formal agenda, and get to at a cadence where you go and you say, and, and they say, you know what, why don't we put that on the agenda? So it becomes their idea. Let the chair of the audit committee drive the agenda. You're just put it, you're putting the golf ball on the tee and hoping they take a really good swing at it. Good analogy. I like it. All right. So that's where they are spending their time. Where are they not? spending enough time and why are they not spending enough time there? And maybe we've kind of hit on that a little bit already. Yeah. The why I think we've touched on, I think the what, you know, there's a, there's a myriad of topics. It depends on what the industry is, the sector you're in, the maturity of the organization, blah, 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 blah. But in the end, I just recently did an article on this topic with ACI learning and maybe you can include it in the show notes um, so people can see it. But I came up with eight issues. 
that busy audit committees should um, not ignore. Doesn't mean they have to spend a lot of time on it, but they should not ignore. Some of them are going to be ones that they, you know, some audit committees are spending time on. But the feedback I've also gotten is, man, that's a that that's a good point. So I'll mention the eight, and then you know, we don't have time to talk about all eight, but maybe there's one or two that kind of strike your fancy out of Trent, and we can talk about those. So I don't think you can talk enough about cyber and all aspects of cyber. So, you know, that's just one. Um, ESG, and I think it's not ESG from the financial reporting standpoint. It's ESG more from what the organization's strategy is. Yeah. Are they using ESG as a competitive lever and, you know, more time on ESG? I think a third one is about employee engagement. Yeah, we talk so much about you know employee engagement, disengagement, the new but newer buzz phrase, you know, quiet quitting and quiet firing, and you yeah. know all this jargon. But in the end, if your workforce is not engaged in the that's the entire organization, that's a significant issue to the control environment, the control structure, meeting goals, blah blah, all that stuff. Third-party risk assessments is someone in the organization, it doesn't have to be internal audit, doing a comprehensive assessment of all of an inventory of all the third parties and a comprehensive risk assessment, and then bringing the highlights of that to the audit committee. Um, the fifth one, there's a lot of talk about, you know, the CAE's relationships. CAEs and what is the CAE's relationship with the entire C-suite? You know, because the audit committee may only see the CEO and or the CFO in many or most meetings and not a whole lot from some of the other C-suite members. But at the end of the day, if the CAE wants a real seat at the table at all the right tables, they got to have a strong relationship across the entire C-suite. And the audit committee should have some view on if that's working or not because it, it benefits them uh the CAE's succession plan was the sixth one the seventh one is you know is internal audit really levering taking leveraging co-sourcing as much as they should okay. um you know a lot of CAEs are are hesitant to do a lot of co-sourcing because the budget doesn't support it they make do with what they got you know but you don't have all the competence and skills you need on staff. You never have, you never will to execute the audit plan. Um, and then last, the, the eighth one I came up with is about, you know, what are the CAEs short-term and long-term plans around remote working? Remote working is here to stay and the org, each organization is you know, still struggling with what it looks like on a long-term basis. But what is the CAE's plans for that, both in the short term and the long term? Because the more that, um, the more the more the staff interacts with the organization in a more face-to-face -face basis, the better chance there is to develop relationships. Yep. But it's all about you know productivity so that doesn't the the audit committee doesn't need to know what you know, have the right answer they just need to hear how the CAE is thought through the approach okay. because it affects hiring it affects staffing it affects morale it affects so many things okay 
All right, so we've hit on this show, Cyber, on our, I guess I'll call our sister show, The Audit Room. If For those that don't know about that podcast, just look for The Audit Room. You'll see it. So we've talked ESG there. Uh, we talked TPRA on this show. Uh, CAE relationships is uh, almost a theme of every show, especially when we have one on. Uh, remote work, we've hit on. We haven't really talked co-sourcing, and we haven't really talked employee gate engagement. And so maybe those are the two we could spend a little bit of time on. Right. It was interesting when you said co-sourcing. That one was interesting to me because we were talking to, uh, actually on the audit room this morning, we had Bud Schrock on, and or Charles Schrock, if you want to follow him on LinkedIn. Um, and there was a question to him about, hey, I'm auditing this area of the business and I don't feel like I have the expertise to audit that area of the business. What should I do? How can I fill that expertise gap? And I wanted to ask a follow-up question, but we didn't have time related to co-sourcing. So there's going to be areas of the, just the business that we don't understand. There's no way we can be experts in everything. I think most people know that, but then where do you draw the line between I'm not an expert in this and I need to co-source or outsource this. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. There's no, there's no bright line you can yeah. draw and it's more kind of a range of, of, of things. You know, I mean, the, the way I view it is, you know, in a perfect world, there is no perfect world, but in a perfect world, you're developing a true comprehensive risk-based audit plan, right? You know, you're doing the comprehensive risk assessment or and or relying on others' risk assessments and coming up with a view of what the audit plan should look like and prioritizing those highest risk projects. Then you're assessing your resources to get those addressed. And, you know, if you, if it's truly a risk-based plan, I, have, I don't care if you're, you know, a 2000 inter, internal audit function, Citigroup, or you're a two-person internal audit department making the best you doing the best you can. You still can't have all of the competencies you need on staff. It's not even economical yeah. to do that because there are some things you only need a subject matter expertise right. for a couple of weeks, and you may never need it again for another couple of years. So why have that skill set sitting on your staff not getting utilized? You might be able to use shared, you know, shared staffing or borrowed resources from elsewhere in the organization, but start from the top down is the ideal way that, you know, most people are doing it, but then you figure out, well, we, you know, we'll make do because the dollars aren't there. The budget isn't there to support it. But then if you think about the audit committee and the point I was making about the article is, you know, the audit committee should be challenging not only do you have the resources to get the plan done, but do you have the right resources? And the right resources may not be those people on staff to do that fully risk-based plan. And so, you know, now you may come back and say, well, here's what I need to get this plan done. And the cost is egregious and you might have to compromise but start there don't start with what do i have okay well this is all the dollars i have and nobody's going to give me any more so we'll just do this and this and we'll stop there got it yeah that's great advice okay i think there's some actionable takeaways too 
uh, from that questions that we can ask ourselves, questions we can ask the audit committee or points that we can make to them. So I really like that. All right, maybe something a little bit lighter uh, topic wise. Uh, and you mentioned jargon earlier. So this is my segue into that because I know, well, I think it might've been just a few days ago. There's an article that you wrote with Internal Audit 360 or IA360 yep. about the the words, um, the techno babble that Internal Audit uses that maybe we should reconsider. And me being a, an audit analytics consultant, even I, when I work with like a hardcore data person, I'm like, you got to stop with that. Like I, it's, it's driving me nuts to hear you talk in techno babble. Um, and so I could empathize with that a little bit, but walk us through some of those. What, what are these like words that we should consider, um, no longer using, uh, or at least understanding the context that are, I'll call them stakeholders. Um, maybe that they're hearing them in. Yeah. I, and I'll, I'll pick a couple because I certainly want people to read the article and not yeah. <laughs> give it, give away the whole thing. And in the, the old proverbial interested time, you know, one that is become more and more of a, you know, and I used it all the time, you know, but it's become more and more of an annoyance to me is this term finding, mm -hmm. you know, we, we, we fall into the trap of using words because they've just become so commonplace to us, you know, but finding the word finding means it was hidden. It was, you know, it's like if, if we didn't use our superpower internal audit skills, you know, we would never, nobody ever would have found this thing, you know? So yeah, that does happen. There are times when we, um, identify something, almost said, find something, we identify something, <laughs> you know, and, and nobody knew it, you know, and our work was the thing that unearthed that, you know, amazing insight, you know? Okay. So that might be a finding. But don't call things findings if the client, the audit client told you about it, yeah. you know, and then we issue our audit report, here's finding one. And the, the reaction is, but we told you about yeah, that. Yeah. You didn't find anything, you know? So words mean things. And the point of the article really is about the fact that we don't really realize it because we fall into using certain words, but think about how they're creating perceptions and misperceptions and even perpetuating perceptions that are not right, but we have, but we don't like, and we have a hard time dispelling, you know? And so, you know, running around and saying, look what we found, look what we found by calling things findings is one. So, so in your, exa your example where management has told us instead of us finding it, should we call it a, a tolding instead of a finding? I, I kind of like, you know, you know, if it's something that is a reportable condition, oh my God, it's a reportable condition. You know, I feel like I just went to the, you know, the doctor, he sent me for blood tests and then the, the, the blood test results are telling me about reportable conditions. Like yeah. I'm going to die tomorrow, <laughs> you know? Um, you know, so, you know, I like, if it's reportable, I like this concept of matters requiring attention or something okay. like that. You know, it's, it's a matter and it requires attention. Yeah. We're not trying to figure out who reported, who identified it, who told who wanted it. At the end of the day, it's just something that needs to get addressed. Yeah. And we've agreed. You agreed. The client agreed. Let's get it in the report. Yes, that does need some attention. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, the, another word is, you know, this 
we've got to use the term satisfactory sometimes, you know, but a lot of times it's the top of the scale. You know, it's either you need some unsatisfactory, the world's coming to an end tomorrow. It needs improvement because look at all these things we've reported. I almost didn't say found, um, you know, and or, you know, at, at, oh, man, you are, you, you know, we didn't we didn't identify much during the course of this audit. The report's got almost nothing in it. You rocked. You are satisfactory. Yeah. 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 You know, I mean, I understand the hesitancy in using language that might bite us later. You know, wait a minute. You said we were outstanding and now stuff is coming to light. And then we're going, but that really wasn't in our audit scope. And we're put on the defensive, and, you know, all that. I get it. But do you really want to run around and start telling people, here's all the findings and you are satisfactory? Yeah, and they want, and then you want them to invite you back and be happy to see you. Yeah, the example, you know, you know, I mean, another example, you go to the doctor, you know, and he's really the doctor's really concerned about your health. You know, during the pandemic, how you put on fifty pounds. I need you to, you need to really get out. You need to exercise. You need to, you need to drop some of this weight. You know, and so I go back and see him six months later. I've lost fifty pounds. The doctor's like, and he's got, you know, wait a minute. He's looking at the like report it. and looking at your results and looking at you and he goes, that's satisfactory. Yeah. You know, you're completely deflated, right, yeah. right, as a result, you know. And so at the same time, we want to develop strong relationships in the organization. We can't keep shooting ourselves in the foot if we can avoid it. Sometimes you can't with some of the language we use. I liked the reasoning for why you talked about... Um, the kickoff audit kickoff. Oh, and we 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 entrance and exit conferences. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, I like the I like the points that you made around those the most. Do you? I know you probably wrote it weeks ago. Do you recall uh, the overall point of those? And yeah, can, no, uh, I mean in the end, I used I use the terminology all the time too. You know, yeah. where we're going to kick off a project, so we call it the entrance meeting, and then the at the end of the field work when we're ready to pull up stakes and leave, we call it an exit conference. Yeah, that as if we're never going back again, as if we're never going to have a continuing relationship. And that, that was the world of cyclical audits and, you know, um, and, and, you know, doing, you know, one uh, particular audit and we might not be back for three years and we never interacted with anybody in the time in between, but that's not the way we're done anymore. You know, we want to, we, we emphasize the importance of relationships and relationship building, you know, so this concept of entrance and exit conferences can be off-putting. Yeah. So yes, we've got all this relationship stuff going off on the side and yes, we're involved with some of the people in that area that we might be auditing now on other projects. So let's, but this is a project. So let's have a project kickoff and a project close means the same thing. It's just about the project, but it's not like this grand entrance and grand exit. Aren't you glad we were here? You know, because, you know, the day we announced the entrance conference, you know, it's sort of like, oh God, when are they going to be done? Yeah. And then the exit conference is, thank God they're leaving. Yeah. You know, um, we send the wrong message. 
I like the uh, a, a project. See you later. You know, like hey, we're 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 still around. We're still gonna get to know each other. It's a project. See you later meeting. There you go. Um, I was seriously. I was there was a audit process work paper. So this is the company or their internal audit department, and they documented like their process. So they onboard somebody. They can basically give them this process documentation, and they can follow it. Uh, to do an individual audit or a given audit. And so I was reviewing that and then putting my audit analytics process and embedding it with within that. And as I was doing it, I had I had your article up. I hadn't read it yet, but I had it up and I knew what it was. And so at some point, I don't know, maybe I took a break, but while working on that, I read it and then I saw that entrance and exit and they had it in theirs. Entrance, right. you know, audit kickoff, that's what it was. Audit kickoff and this is, you know, go to this place on the shared drive and here's the deck and uh, and then exit meeting and go to, you know, here's the procedures and this is where all the templates are and all this stuff. And I, I put a comment in there, um, and just said, not my area of expertise, but maybe we should consider changing this based on this article that I just read. So they haven't reviewed it yet, but I'm anxious to see what their feedback's going to be. And I think, you know, if, if we put relationships first and we start evolving to not, not using some of the formal structures maybe we start evolving to more and more agile thinking uh -huh. i won't call it methodology that's great if you go down the path of the agile methodology but just the agile thinking it's more continuous it's more you know we're, we're engaged with the client throughout the project um then this idea of entrance and exit and you know all the fanfare on the bookends you know goes away a lot. Well, one of the initiatives for the podcast this year for 2023, based on the data that we've looked at in terms of downloads and what people are listening to from the podcast, it's usually a lot of if we, you know, how to be a CAE or how to do this um, or the mind of a CAE, et cetera. Because I feel like most people, they don't want to be a staff, senior, you know, manager, auditor their entire career. They want to become a CAE. So we're trying to take more CAE as CAEs on as guests, uh, former CAEs as well, or folks to interact with them at some level. Um, and so that's kind of where this next series of questions is coming from. Uh, so given your experience, where do you feel like, what does this, the audit committee want from their CAE? At the, at the end of the day, what the audit committee wants from the CAE is assurance, but it's not assurance in the typical use of the word. They just want to be assured they have the right person and the right people in internal audit. They're raising the right issues at the right time. They've got the right relationships. And if they're not telling me about something, then I don't need to worry about it. Yeah, they well. need to be assured. And that is not as a result of assurance projects, it's the assurance that comes from knowing that you feel confident and comp that you have, you're confident you have the right person and the right people in the role to execute your responsibilities as an audit committee. So it's about creating confidence through competence. Is there, and I like that, is there a trait or a skill that let's say the you know audit manager that wants to be a CE is there a trait or a skill they could try to learn to grow on to become that type of CAE? In 
a lot of times what happens, what a lot of CAEs treat the audit committee with some mystery. So the rest of the audit staff wonders, I don't, I, we helped create some documents, but we don't know what happens in there. It's like this great mystery. And the, you know, for the CAE, it's how do you demystify it? You know, as much as you can, you can't share everything as much as you can share with your staff or at least your, your staff leaders, um, you know, what are you prioritizing and why going in and what happened coming out? Got it. Some CAEs and some audit committees allow for some people to sit in the room from time to time and kind of observe, but that's, that's rare and it doesn't always happen and it doesn't happen for some obvious reasons because it is rather confidential in what's mm -hmm. going on in that, in that meeting. And you do not want the situation where an audit committee member feels reluctant to bring something up because there's someone else in the room that they don't know. Yeah. You know, but as much as you can demystify it, the burden is on the CAE to do that. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, so there's not much you can do as an audit manager other than to, you know, start asking questions Ask. if you're yep. not getting information to you get quite you know ask start asking questions yeah that's a good point i know we would have like all hands meetings when i was in internal audit and the cae would get a call from the audit committee chair and be like wait i'll be right back step outside and then come back in and i'd be like what could you tell me what that was about like that seems super interesting what what was that about and you know sometimes they would share what it was and sometimes not, but yeah, I always wanted to know like, okay, what's that relationship like? How do you do that? Cause I certainly wouldn't want to like become a CAE and then all of a sudden be like, what do I do? Like, you know, like a, some kind of path, some kind of, um, way of knowing exactly roundabout what I should be doing as a CAE relative to the audit committee. Yep. No, I mean, yeah, yeah. As much as you can avoid the trial by fire, cause there's a lot of mistakes you can make, um, in that dealing at that level of the organization. Yeah. And unfortunately, like if you look, if you went to Amazon and you looked for CEO books, there's like thousands of books for CEOs, uh, COO, CMOs, CDOs, chief data officers are starting to be more of those. You look for CAE books. I don't think there, I haven't looked in a while. Uh, I don't think there's anything out there, at least with that title. So maybe. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say that, you know, any of Richard Chambers books will help give you some insight there. Um, you know, I didn't mean to plug this, but I will plug it. You know, Jason Mefford and I had put together a certified chief audit executive program. So it is a certification and it's 40 hours of CPE. Um, and some, uh, it's all on-demand video based and why I'm bringing it up is some of these insights that I share along the way are in a number of the videos. Jason and I did a number of videos in that program together. And one section is all about audit committees. And we have one video that's about before the committee, during the committee, after the committee, you know, and the things you need to consider and do as a CAE. And some of the feedback we've gotten are people who are CAE aspirants who have said, I never would have known that. My CAE yeah. never gave me those insights. Okay. That's what I'm so, curious about. You know, I would encourage people to, you know, you know, if you 
get your CIA first. Okay. Most Is internal that- auditors, you know, if you're done with the CIA exam and you're looking for the next thing and you do want to be a CAE or you're a new CAE, um, I would highly recommend that. Also looks good on your resume. Yeah. Okay. So you have the CIA. Are there any, um, and it sounded like more of a recommendation than a prerequisite for actually being able to take the CCAE. Are there any, can anybody do it though? Anybody can, anybody can do it. Okay. Yep. Perfect. All right. And we'll link to uh, that in the show notes as well. Um, maybe some of this is addressed also in that certification, but what are the common challenges uh, that CAEs deal with? I think in today's environment, you know, first and foremost, it's resourcing, you know, it's, it's keeping the staff motivated, you know, the options for, um, your staff as a CAE for the options that your staff have are, are becoming more and more limitless in a remote working world. Um, and so before, if they were looking for another job and because they weren't fully thrilled with where they are or somebody was going to offer them more money than you can give them, you know, they, and they weren't willing to relocate. The options were what was in that market. Well, were they willing to get in a car and drive to, and now that's all changed. And so, um, you know, resourcing from staffing to co-sourcing, having the right budget dollars to be able to execute your audit plan, resourcing is key. See every CA and cop two is you know spending more time on it than they wish they were yeah. you know but no they have to and no it's important I think secondly is going to be technology technology adoption um, yeah, they yeah, internal audit is in, it, it, for the most part is behind the curve in technology adoption and we don't need to spend time with the diagnosis as to why it is what it is um but you gotta if you don't start doing something about it um you know if it's not too late already um and so my advice is always to CAEs have a strategic plan for your department. What does your department need to look like three years from now to support what you already know the organization's strategic plan is? You already know it. You know where this organization is planning to go, how big it's going to be, what it's going to look like, what its priorities are. What does your audit function need to look like then? And reverse engineer how you're going to get there. And if technology adoption is not part of that, something's not right. Um, and then I think it, you know, the third challenge that comes to mind, Trent, is going to be we all get busy. And as much as we know we need to be spending time on relationships, relationship building, or relationship management, if we go back and audit our calendar over the last three or six months, we'd go and we'd say, I didn't spend enough time on relationships. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I think it's resourcing, it's technology adoption and it's relationships. And I think you've, um, I've heard that before from you to audit your calendar. Um, and it's a really good, I went through and every meeting last year, or this was two years ago, looked at who the person was, the nature of the meeting, and then the date, and then put all that in there and went, oh, I didn't talk to that person in like nine months. I should probably follow up with them. You know, just to, for nothing else, just to shoot them a message, you know, yep. uh, if nothing else. So that's fantastic. Okay. 
Uh, we've gone through Hal Guerin's uh, School of CAE 101 by listening to this episode, and we've applied um, these lessons learned from your career and from talking to other CAEs and audit committees. Now, how do we know once we're in that CAE position, how do we know that we have arrived as a CAE? I'll tell you the the, the example where I, I had my aha moment that I arrived in an organization um, and then this has stuck with me ever since. It was the day the CEO came to my office, knocked, are you busy? Yeah. Do you have a few minutes? Came in, closed the door, and sat down across the desk from me and wanted to get my opinion on something. And so, I mean, I think if the C-suite is seeking you out because they want, they, they view you as a business partner, smart person, you add value, you bring insight, you take that objectivity and can look at something differently that I'm looking at it. And they want to know what you have to say. I think you've arrived. Yeah, that's brilliant. And is there, I would, I'm curious. Did they come to you for from like your audit perspective or just, hey, Hal knows what's up. Let me just go ask Hal this. It was more, it, that instant was much more from just a business perspective. Yeah. And I can't, I don't want to disclose the details, but sure. it was one of those where I'm struggling with X and I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Like, yeah. And I, and I mean, excuse my language. I had that like, holy shit, this is cool. <laughs> you know? You know, and I wouldn't have thought about that until it happened. But then I felt, I felt differently about how I fit within that organization from that moment forward. Yeah. And, and I couldn't do anything about it. It wasn't like I was going to run out to my staff and go, did you, did you see what just happened? Yeah. You know, um, it was just something I had to go and smile and say, that's it. Did it. That's awesome. All right. Well, like I said, there's been a lot of legitimate takeaways here uh a three-year strategy if you're a cae if you're not even you know if you're a manager go, go talk to your cae what's the three-year strategy for internal audit department uh for the organization they should be able to basically uh recite that um and so i think it's okay for non-caes to push their caes uh, with questions like that um tech adoption i think obviously audit guy i mean analytics guy i'm going to push for that as well um, and then audit your calendar relative to relationships. I think all three of those are like, this is stuff that you've listened to this episode, you're done. You can act on those at least, you know, two to, you know, at least two of those, I would imagine, uh, for everyone. And so a lot of great takeaways, but, uh, what else do you have? <laughs> what do you want to leave? I guess the I, would, I mean, that that's, that's enough. I guess I would, I would encourage people to, um, you know, if you don't like what you're hearing from me, then don't follow me. But if you do follow me on LinkedIn, if you're not already, um, you know, I do try to be a pretty active, um, poster on LinkedIn on a range of topics, not just internal audit and governance. Um, We've mentioned a couple of the articles I've already had published this year. I'm working on more. If any listeners have um, ideas on topics that you'd like me to consider um, for future articles, you know, you know, shoot me a note in LinkedIn. I'd greatly appreciate it. And then uh, an out of left field thing I want to leave the audience with here. Um, 
don't underestimate um, where AI is going to take things. You know, everybody's, you know, focused on chat GPT. And yes, it has been reported that Microsoft is going to invest up to $10 billion in open AI, the creators of chat GPT. But it isn't about chat GPT. That's just the tangible evidence of how rapidly AI is going to uh, impact the business world and impact our lives personally. Um, and I think I, I, none of us can predict where it's going to go or what it's going to mean. But my, in, I've heard people um, think it's talk about the fact that it's all just hype and there's not much to it. Maybe, maybe not. As we sit here today in January 2023, but I think we will look back on this day and go, we under, uh, many people will go, we underestimated the impact on how it's going to change. This feels like what people said about the initial adoption of the internet and people poo-pooing it, saying it's nothing. I think even Bill Gates said, you know, you know, that, that that's not important at one point in time, you know, so... Uh, you know, I'll leave people with that to ponder and disagree with me on if they like. Hey, everyone. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Audit Podcast. Whatever platform you're listening on right now, I'm sure there's a subscribe button somewhere. So please hit the subscribe button there. If you're listening through iTunes or Spotify, feel free to go give us that five-star rating. It only took me about 16 seconds to give myself a five-star review, and it really helps to get future guests to come on the show. So we'd really appreciate that. Lastly, be sure to check out the show notes and follow us on all our social media channels on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on TikTok. Also, if interested, please sign up for our weekly newsletter from the Audit Podcast. Thank you all. Have a great one.